Hello, you're listening to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Welcome to this special episode, Security Insights End of Year Review for 2020. This year has been one like no other. Few businesses have not been affected by the global pandemic. And we've seen unprecedented changes to the way we work, which has in turn forced organisations of all sizes to adapt. But the pandemic is not the only issue affecting information security. In some ways, it's thrown a light on existing challenges, the skills shortage, the need for diversity, and an increasingly complex threat landscape. How will we deal with these challenges in 2021? And which of 2020's changes will become a permanent feature of the security world? Our special guest on this end-of-year review is Amanda Finch, Chief Executive of the Chartered Institute of Information Security. The Institute itself has undergone a period of change, gaining its chartered status in the UK. This is part of a wider trend to recognise the growing importance of professional standards in the IT security field. I started by asking Amanda to describe the work of the Chartered Institute and the importance of its new status. Well, it should sort of say what it does on the tin. It is the Chartered Institute for Information Security and Cyber. Um, We used to be called the Institute of Information Security Professionals, IISP, uh, but we gained Royal Charter um, over the last year or so that it came in two parts that we were officially chartered um, in June 2020. Um, Basically, we were set up uh, to act as a professional body for the breadth of the profession. So we are the only pure play um, information cybersecurity um, professional body that represents the breadth of the profession. What we do is that we help um, individuals, organisations, training companies and academia Everything is aimed at raising standards of professionalism. So we help individuals with their careers. Uh, We help them to gain um, recognition for their skills and competency through our accreditation programs. Um, We also help them with um, uh, sharing knowledge. We have masterclasses and um, development programs and and things like that to help them with their careers. We help organisations develop capability within their organisation through our uh, our, um, um, corporate membership uh, scheme. We have close links with academia. We have got well over a thousand um, students um, signed up to our academic uh, partner programme. Um, across 30 universities. Uh, We accredit uh, training um, against our skills framework. So that's another thing that we do is that we um, have um, a number of frameworks which are, again, um, intended to help people develop uh, their skills and competencies. So the most famous one of it, of the ones that we have, is the skills framework, which looks at all of the different skills that can make up Uh, different flavours of security professionals. So anything from security management to risk to um, uh, architecture and secure development, secure operations and so on and so forth. So it looks at all of the skills that you need um, potentially to be a security professional. Um, And it also looks at the soft skills. Um, So um, that's been extensively used uh, by organisations to help uh, develop capability. It's, It's also the way that we accredit 
um, our professionals so that we can demonstrate which parts of the skills framework they have their, their competency in. Um, we use the same skills framework to accredit training courses as well, so it helps signpost uh, which courses are appropriate. So we're, we're really sort of the glue in the middle of the profession trying to help individuals, organisations, um, uh, academia and training organisations um, to uh, raise standards of professionalism through our frameworks, uh, our accreditation programmes and our knowledge set sharing. So that's us in a nutshell. Thank you. So how's the transition to chartered status gone? And you said it, it's a two-step process. So I know that's something you, you've started work on you know, a while ago and the process really started to come to the fore with the change of the name in, in 2019, but the final grant of status was this year. So what's that transition been like? It's an interesting process getting charter. Um, is that It's quite a long, complicated process because you can only have one chartered organisation for each profession or, or a particular sector or, or something. So there's a lot that goes into it before you're actually even able to start um, applying for charter. So uh, the whole process took about three years to do um, and um, that you have to apply and then you have to um, talk to the Privy Council about where you're positioned. Um, and then uh, that goes backwards and forwards and um, and then you get granted the um the, the, the charter if it's appropriate and a lot of people get consulted so um in many ways how has it changed us um it's it's changed us in the sense that we have um obligations to fulfill because that's part of being a chartered organization but a lot of that we were doing anyway um so in in that sense it hasn't really changed things um i think what it has done is it's given us a lot more recognition um of the fact that uh, we are uh, the professional body, um, and that it is recognised now as a chartered body. Uh, I think it's also made people more interested in us um, and um, interested in the idea of potentially chartering people going forward or ch chartering professionals going forward. So um, it's it's been good, and I think it's been good for the profession as well. Uh, so it's a, a lot of work to, to transition, um, but um, uh, we've been working closely with... Um, DCMS and uh, others to uh, look at establishing the Cyber Council, which will come into fruition next year. So it's really raising the standards in professionalism and getting us recognised as a profession. So it's all goodness as far as I'm concerned. And that status would be analogous to the status, for example, in, enjoyed by uh, civil engineers, which have had this you know, for years. It, does that have a big impact, would you say, on employers and on people using information security professionals and how they're perceived? I think it will do. Um, I think I, I think we're a long way away from the right to practice as, as such. Um, but I think that what chartering will do is that um, it gives the badge in the same way, as you say, uh, as um, civil engineers and others that are able to claim chartered status. So um, I, I think it's good for professionals um, because it gets them recognised as being professionals. And it's also good for employers because um, it gives them um, some indication of, of the level of person that they're employing. Because I think that's one of the problems that we've got at the moment is that it's hard for employers to know what they're buying in terms of employees. And um, it's, it's often hard for professionals to be able to demonstrate their worth to employers. So it puts it into a a sort of lexicon that other 
professions use so it makes it easier to understand. Does it also convey or give the practitioner a degree of professional independence in the way that an academic or a member of one of the medical royal colleges or one of the other chartered institutes would do so that when someone and inevitably in security you have to do this from time to time when someone has to give advice that may be unpalatable or unwelcome that charter status gives that person an authority to say actually you do need to do this even though you and I don't particularly want to. I think it will over time. Uh, one of the things that we're, we're also doing is that we've been working with the College of Policing to um, develop a cyber digital investigator profession, uh, which is um, uh, really part of cyber, part of law enforcement. And one of the aims of doing that is that um, we're hoping when people are able to, uh, or bodies are able to um, bestow charter, is that we'll be able to bestow charter on them as well as um, the cyber uh, professionals or infosec professionals, because it will give them credibility in court um, when they're presenting evidence. So I, th I think that having a recognised badge makes it more palatable um, for um, senior managers to take advice um, rather than um, ignore it. Um, if, you're, if you're listening to somebody who's chartered, um, yes, it's, it's got to have more weight uh, than somebody that, that potentially hasn't. But then we have been um, accrediting people for, for some time uh, through our full membership scheme um, and through the, um, uh, the NCSC cyber, uh, Certified Cyber uh, Professional Scheme as well. Um, so... Um, we, we've seen that sort of recognition already coming um, with people um, seeing our, our professionals in the way that they've been um, uh, accredited um, through peer review, basically, um, and accredited on their competency. And I think that's the important thing. It's about the competency and being able to demonstrate that you have that level of competency. And also giving people a pathway to develop. But we'll come back to that. But 2020 is probably the the worst possible year to, to launch anything new. Um, what would you say has been the main, what would you say have been the main development in information security this year? What are you seeing in your organisation? And more importantly, what are your members reporting back and say, look, these are actually the developments that are really causing us issues, are really causing us to change our priorities and change the way we act? I think you have to say that everything has to be overshadowed by covid um, because um, uh, every organisation has had to cope with uh, remote, well, not every organisation, but most organisations have had to cope with remote working, um, different ways of doing things, um, using kit that was probably not intended to be used in that particular way. So um, what we've seen, uh, certainly through our membership, is that um, people have obviously spent an awful lot of time looking at Zoom screen screens, um, that when we did our last um, survey, we were talking about um, burnout uh, within the industry. And I think that we're seeing people working even longer hours because they're working at home and um, that uh, it's, um, it, it's easy to go on working until eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night sometimes, um, rather than getting uh, on a train and going home. So um, the biggest things we've obviously seen have been to do with technology, um, the move to everything being online, the move to homeworking, um, the move to having to work with different environments um, that um, you wouldn't necessarily normally have expected to work with. 
Um, I think that the problem is that the breaches haven't gone away. And we've seen something um, today um, where um, you had the um, sunburst um, attack in, in the States, uh, where there are probably a lot of um, attacks that are dormant um, that we don't even know that are, are there um, at the moment. So the changes have been the ways of working, but the criminals are still there wanting to attack environments. And um, it's very easy um, to say, press update now and all of those sort of things. But it's the, 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 it's the security teams that have got to pick up those issues. So um, it's having to be more tenacious uh, within the environment, um, basically. I think that's the, the, the big things that have come through, really, for me. Um, and everyone's working very, very hard. Yeah, there's certainly been no slacking off. And, you know, companies have had to move very quickly to changing the way they operate. That's had an impact on what IT more broadly has had to do. And in fact, IT has become very, very central to operations in organisations where that might not have been the case, even, say, last September. Absolutely. I mean, I can just say from a CISEC perspective that we were largely office based and we did what was in effect a six month project in, in about a month of um, getting everybody on secure machines and being able to work from home and, um, you know, implementing standards and things like that. It's, it, was, it was a real challenge, and I'm sure we weren't alone in trying to do that. Um, and um, I think harnessing technology um, has been um, the, the big thing for this year. Uh, if you look at the communications technology that's been out there, um, everybody has been really relying on Zoom uh, Teams, you know, all of these other platforms. And um, uh, I think that the, the networks have done an amazing job of keeping us all afloat, basically. I, I was certainly expecting to have lots of um, comms outages uh, over the time. And they certainly have. And actually, one of the things that's interesting is that there haven't been more large scale cyber incidents. Yes, there have been some, but there hasn't perhaps been the increase that some of the analysts had expected and some of the security agencies had expected. And, you know, it's been suggested to me, certainly, that even the cyber criminals and other groups have had to adapt their ways of working as well to the new situation. Do you see that? Is that part of the reason that we've not been overwhelmed by cyber attacks over the last few months? It's always been ever thus that uh, whatever um, technology and ways of working come for good are, are always adapted by others for bad. Um, I think we haven't seen as many attacks as possibly predicted because I think quite a lot of them are potentially dormant. Um, and I think that is probably one of the things that we will be seeing uh, potentially um, next year or you know, whenever, basically, um, because um, I, I, I would pre predict that um, there's probably a certain amount of code that's being put out there and lying dormant at the moment, and that could be tri triggered. Um, if you look at how difficult it is now, you know, that you've got to manage a distributed environment, it's very easy for, the, for, for code to be infiltrated into those areas, um, and it's just waiting for an opportunity. Um, I also think that uh, with the, the, the downturn in the, um, the economy, um, people are going to be looking at different ways of exploiting things. So, um, I, for me, I, I think it's potentially a ticking time bomb. Yeah, so so actually bad actors might be keeping their powder dry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can see things like blended threats and all of those things coming as well. Targeting. I mean, we've seen a huge amount with ransomware, haven't we? 
over the last year or so. Um, all of those things are going to come into play. And I think people are maybe waiting their time, um, waiting till they can actually really get a hold of something. Um, so um, I think it's a watch this space for me. It is. And looking back, though, I mean, the, the other aspect to this is which of the developments are going to turn into long-term trends so of the the changes in the way of work that we've seen the changes in behavior that we've seen and in fact in, in potentially changes in security as well changes in security setups changes in uh, attitude to risk would you pull out any of those trends as being ones that are here to stay yes um i think that um the i think security professionals are going to have to be doing more with less um because uh, with the economy uh, the way that it is at the moment and um, until we see sort of significant recoveries and things like that, um, budgets are going to be really, really stretched. Um, so uh, where we've seen the technical advances um, for, for, for um, uh, managing things or, and, and also being used by the, um, the, 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 the bad actors as well, um, is that uh, we're, we're going to have to be more vigilant. So I, I can see that high level of um, sort of burnout almost remaining um, there. Uh, so that, that's something that we need to really watch as a profession um, and how we work smartly uh, to make the best of the resources that we have. Um, I also think that the way that we work will continue. I don't see people going back into um, big offices en masse so that uh, the whole um, uh, challenge, the whole challenge of managing distributed environments, is going to be with us. Uh, so we need to think how we do that, how we basically protect the information, um, how we protect our people. Um, so I think that people are going to have to be far more collaborative um, going forward. Um, if you're asking people to work from home, you need to be raising the understanding of what it is that they need to worry about and why. So that collaborative um, working um, will continue. And I can see that um, there will be this um, drive to improve the culture within organisations. So um, there needs to be far more discussion between the security teams and the end users on what it is that they need to protect and why and understanding the threats that are out there. So um, I, I can see those trends as well. And I think the other thing is with the supply chain as well, um, is that all of the threat, all of the, um, uh, the attacks, or not all of the attacks, but a lot of the attacks come through the supply chain and the weakest link um, element. So um, organizations will need to really cont continue to work on how they um, manage their supply chains um, and and then really thinking candidly about how we make the best of the resources there we should be doing a lot more with um, people that are able to communicate with end users you know using the psychological um, aspects of the profession to to help people understand you know why they need to protect things because the, the it's not going to get any easier so we need to work smarter the change in corporate culture and workplace culture is one that's likely to be enduring. And of course, that has a direct impact on security culture as well. So how do we as a profession, how do we adjust what we do to account for the fact that people don't meet in person and don't share resources in the same way and actually 
training and developing culture and developing an awareness of issues like data privacy uh, can be a lot more difficult when you're only communicating with people remotely. It's again, it's about adapting um, and it's really uh, working with, we have some amazing communicators within our profession that are very, very good at um, developing schemes and um, methodologies to, to keep people engaged. Uh, I, I think what we need to do is that we need to be treating um, the community as security warriors almost for us as well, so that they take on understanding what the challenges are and, and how they should protect themselves um, against it, not just for their work environment, but for their home environment. So a lot of it is really about raising levels of education um, and in many ways, the environment that we work in now, it's easier to do that because you you, you switch on the television the whole time and you, you hear something about cyber and it's harnessing the, the tools around you, like what's in the media, like harnessing uh, what is important to somebody um, and um, just getting the buy-in on that side and treating people as adults, really, um, because we're all in it together. So over the last few months, quite understandably, a lot of the focus has been on changes to the business perimeter and the need to secure endpoints in a different way outside the office, outside the business premises, people moving away from even from remote working or mobile working to working from home, which is in a lot of ways a different setup again, because you've got to consider the fact that you're sharing bandwidth with family members. You may not have the level of privacy that you're used to. But something that maybe hasn't garnered quite as much attention has been the data protection angle over the last few months, necessarily because businesses have been trying to do things quite quickly. Do you think that that is a problem that is being stored up for the future, that actually these changes in the way people work, the changes to the business culture, the more fluid working relationship is actually going to affect how companies protect their data? Yes. Um, it, again, it's it's a, an area that um, organisations are going to need to focus on, um, is that uh, there's lots of technology out there to um, be able to share um, data um holding it obviously in the cloud in secure environments. Um, but if people are um, storing things locally on their, their, their PCs or, uh, or laptops or whatever, um, then there's some issues there with that. There's also the issues of people printing things off and not disposing of them um, securely. There are potentially um, areas there. I think that what we're going to need to see is the home um, environment as almost a, an office environment and it's about protecting the data because you can't you can't protect somebody's complete home environment um is that i think that what we'll probably see is that people have dedicated equipment if they are working at home um it may be difficult that they're sharing um a, a, an internet connection with the rest of the family um um but um in terms of gdpr and all of those sort of things um Again, it's back to awareness, education, um, making it easy for people to store information in native repositories rather than making up their own um, um, file structures for things and keeping their own lists and things like that. So, yes, there could potentially be a bit of an issue there coming up. So it's about making it easier for people to do the right things. I think it always is, is that what you need to do is to make it as easy as possible for people to do the right thing. So giving them the technical support and the and the um, 
the rules and the platforms and all of those things um, so that they need to only concentrate on obviously doing their job and, and, and what they do well, um, but the main security messages and making them real to them so that they understand why they need to do those things. So what would you say are likely to be the priorities or do you feel will be the priorities for uh, IT security teams and chief information security officers uh, in 2021? So aside from the need to continue to protect this different way of working and looking at that prioritisation of security education and data protection, are there any other areas that you particularly think the profession should be focusing on and individual CISOs and their teams need to prioritise? I think that the priorities for me um, would be to um, really take a more inclusive um, view of security um, in terms of when they're building their teams um, is that um, we've, we've had for, for many years the skills shortages and um, not being able to get the right skills for this particular job and all of this sort of thing. Um, and I think that really with the, the current environment that we need to probably look within our own organisations to actually develop talent, but also make sure that the teams are inclusive and diverse. It's really building the right teams and, um, and giving people the tools to be able to do their job is that it's not necessarily technical solutions that are going to fix things uh, as such. They're part of the solution. Um, but looking to the wider net of people within the community to help solve the problems so that if, you've got, if you're a CISO, you've got a strong team around you, basically, to help you do that. And having that strong team is one way to maximise the investment. And as you've pointed out, there are concerns about budgets. Do you feel that the profession will need to be smarter about how it operates in the coming few years? Definitely, definitely. And, uh, and, and part of that is obviously harnessing technology. Part of that is harnessing different skill groups as well. So we've talked a lot about um, educating and communicating um, is that, uh, uh, that 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 goes at all levels. Um, so for a CISO, um, the CISOs need to make sure that they commute with the board. And we've talked about this for many, many years. But it is really about making sure that everybody's buying in and problem, whether it's um, from a, a, the, the top C-suite to, you know, the the, the uh, end user that maybe doesn't have a huge understanding about uh, cyber and, and uh, what's needed. Um, and really what we need to be doing is looking at how we build teams that can do that most effectively. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to be really technical, is that we should also look at where we're taking people into the, into the community uh, from as well, um, is that we need to make sure that we're inclusive in, in the terms of how we attract people to the profession and um, identifying the roles that are actually building to their skills uh, and that they can give the most to the community. And actually, to to borrow a phrase from um, John Le Carré, who sadly passed away in uh, 2020, infrastructure needs to come in from the cold. It does. It does. And to be seen as, as, as something that really affects all of us and that uh, we're all in it together, basically. Amanda Finch from the Chartered Institute of Information Security. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Amanda Finch from the Chartered Institute of Information Security on how the industry needs to broaden its talent pool and continue to develop skills, as well as to raise its profile with boards and among the general public. Listeners can find out more about the Institute at ciisec.org. That, though, is all for this week's episode. But you can catch up on past programmes, including those on neurodiversity, mental health and burnout in InfoSec, and our special series on cybersecurity during the pandemic on the website, securityinsights.co.uk. We'll be back on Tuesday, January the 12th, with a new three-part series looking at security awareness and security culture. Please do subscribe to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts and Spotify. Meanwhile, thanks again for listening and have a prosperous and secure New Year. Security Insights was written and presented by Stephen Pritchard and this week's guest was Amanda Finch, Chief Executive of the Chartered Institute of Information Security. Security Insights is produced by ENS Media www.ensmedia.co.uk